Can we find our way to God by the power of our logic? Why doesn't God give us credible signs that would force us to know the truth? Find 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 18 through 24 in your Bible and let's join Dave Wurtzen, our study leader, as he talks to us about signs and intellects. You know what you're constantly asking God to do? You're constantly like the person says, all right, God, here I am. Here's my credit card. Where's yours? I've got my driver's license here. It authenticates that I am Dave Wurtzen. Here it is, Texas driver's license. God, where's your driver's license? Give me your credentials. I want to share something with you. God will never play that game with you. We're always doing that with God. God will not just show his credentials. By the way, God has shown his credentials. He created the world. That's pretty good. He created you. That's pretty good, too. God did visit this planet. You do live in a planet where God came. And God did grow up, and he lived a perfect life. God in the flesh lived a perfect life. You want signs and wonders? The Son of God opened the eyes of the blind, raised the dead. What else do you want? Now, some of you say, well, man, if I would have been there, I would have believed in him. Baloney, you would have. We're all just like every other human being. The Jewish leaders, the Jewish leaders kept coming to him. Matthew 8, Mark 8, I mean. They come to him and say, show us a sign. We need a sign. The Pharisees come. We need a sign. The Lord says, I'm not going to give you a sign. Now, that's really contradictory because he gave him one sign after another. What was he saying? He says, I'm not going to play your game. You'll never believe approaching me like that. You see, the reason you can't believe approaching me like that is you're folding your arms and saying, look at me. I can evaluate God. I've got this brilliant mind. I've got powers of observation. I can decide whether God is here among us. You cannot. You cannot decide that. And as long as you think you can, you'll never come to God. Because you can't come to God standing up. Nobody can come to God standing up. You've got to get down. And that's what Paul is talking about. The Corinthians were saying, oh, we've got another philosophy. It's called the Jesus philosophy. I heard a kid at seminary one day, one of my fellow classmates says, isn't the Christian religion such a beautiful system? I said to him, you've got to be nuts. It's a terrible system. It's ugly. It's vicious. It doesn't make any sense. He said, what are you talking about? I said, man alive, what could make sense about a God who's born as a little baby? What intellectual ever come up with that? That's crazy. And then the baby grows and he hangs on a cross. Stupidity. That doesn't make any beautiful sense. It doesn't make any sense at all from my vantage point. The religionist is always trying to get God to prove his credentials and God is saying, you can't come to Christ through your religion. You can't step back and evaluate the signs. You cannot come to Christ through your mind. Now, how do you come to Christ? Simple way. Look what Paul says. He says, we preach Christ. Verse 23. But we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God. Christ, the very wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Now, I want you to get this. Some of you are brilliant. Some of you are dumb. Some of you are really religious. Some of you aren't religious at all. 
But the event of the cross, what I'm going to tell you for the next few minutes is a happening. And it's a happening that occurs in your life. And the way you respond to it decides what you're going to do with eternity. What's going to happen in eternity. What is he talking about that the cross was a scandal? Most of you don't understand how scandalous the message of salvation was in the first century. Suppose you were Jewish and Paul comes in. Imagine hearing the gospel for the first time. I'm Jewish. Paul began to tell the gospel. And Paul told me he was born in Bethlehem of Judea. He was of the tribe of Judah. I say, good. Micah said that. Good. We're doing all right. I know that a lot of the contemporary Jews didn't understand that, but Paul's now clearing it all up. So I've got a Messiah that's born in the right place of the right tribe. Everything's right so far. I say, all right, Paul, what did he do? Well, he grew up and became a man. He started going around all the countryside preaching and teaching. Well, I said, that's pretty good. Did he have any power? I said, oh, yeah. Paul says, sure, he raised the dead and, and healed blind people. So far, so good. I'm Jewish. I say, man, that's a good Messiah. What did he do with the Romans? Boy, with that kind of power, he could have taken care of the Romans, right? And Paul begins to say, no, he really didn't take care of the Romans. I said, what did he do with the Romans then? Doesn't he know the Romans are unjust? Sure, he knew the Romans were unjust. Then what did he do with them? Didn't he stomp them all out? Didn't he call down legions of angels and wipe out those unjust Roman rulers and set up the Jewish nation as Lord over all the earth? That's what the Messiah is going to do. It talks all about that in Daniel. Remember the stone cut out without hands and the Messiah comes down and crushes the statue and the Jews rule and reign forever and ever. That's the Messiah, right? Paul said, no. Well, tell me, Paul, what did he do? He hung on a cross. He hung on a cross? You've got to be out of your tree. That's like, as one of the commentators talks about, that's like talking about fried ice. You don't have fried ice. You either have ice or frying. You can't have fried ice. You can't have Christ crucified. You can't have Messiah crucified. It doesn't make any sense. Messiah equals power, triumph, ruling, conquering. Setting up a kingdom on the earth. Crucified equals criminal, scandal, just the low life. Crucifixion is ignominy. It is shame. You can't talk about fried ice. You can't talk about a Messiah that's crucified. So the Jew would say, I can't believe that. I can't believe that. So we get the intellectual. We get the Roman in, for example. Some of you say, man, the world runs by power. Yeah, this world does run by power. So you say, well, tell me what Christ did about the politicians of his day. I mean, we're getting ready to have another election here in the United States. And man, we really need to do something about politics. Tell me what Christ did about politics. Well, he went before an unjust court. He went before a guy that was just in it to keep his own position strong. How many of you have ever been in a law court and the judge was there just making sure he covered all the bases, maybe he took a little bribe once in a while, but usually not overt bribes, just to be sure he made the right decision that fit with the right power group. How many of you think that's the way politics runs? A lot of politics runs that way. That's the way a lot of your businesses run. You scratch this back, you scratch this back, try to keep everything going. Christ was right in the middle of that. As he stood before Pilate, as he stood before Pilate, Pilate knew he was innocent. He testified he was innocent. So why did he hang him on a cross? You know why he hung Christ on a cross? To save his own neck. 
And that's what the world system will always do. That's what people in business will do. That's what people in politics will do. That's what the world is like. You see, the first century world is like a snapshot of what the world is like. The Jewish leaders, you know what they were after? We're going to crucify him because he's shaking the boat. If we let him keep talking like he is, our beautiful churches will be torn down. We won't be able to sacrifice anymore. The whole nation's going to be destroyed. We need to zap this little lowly peasant from Galilee because he's shaking the boat. Who cares whether he's innocent? After all, you've got to, you know, you've got to sacrifice some things. In order to preserve the nation, you've got you to kill some people once in a while. Everyone knows that's the, the human existence choice. So the Jewish leaders are going to crucify Jesus to save their own necks. The Roman politicians are going to crucify Jesus to save their own necks. And all of us join right in there with them and do exactly the same thing. That's the evil that's in our heart. And that's the perishing world we live in. The world hasn't changed one single bit. The world is not a nice place. It's not a good place. There's not lovey-dovey people. At Christmas time, you'll have people that dress up in Santa Claus suits and steal all the money. Because that's how bad we really are. But God said at that moment on the cross, ultimate wisdom was done. You see, from a human standpoint, it seems foolish. From a human standpoint, it doesn't make any sense. But for those of you that are being saved, you hear about that cross, and you hear about a Savior that died for you, and it was the ultimate expression of power. You see, nuclear energy cannot take care of your big problem. You might be a nuclear physicist here today. And you can know all about the power of God. You might not even recognize it as the power of God in the atom. But all of that power that's in the atom cannot take care of your biggest problem and my biggest problem. And that's this deeply ingrained, arrogant rebellion against God. You see, all that knowledge of power... All that the world thinks of is power. And the religionists that are in this group, some of you that just get caught up in the religion of it all, you haven't faced the truth about your life. And I'm not, I'm not accusing you. I'm asking you to join with me. I'm admitting to you. I'm a preacher. I'm one of those reverends. I hate that title like I often tell you. But some of you want to say, oh, you don't have problems. I mean, I've got the same ugly, dirty heart that you have. What makes you think you could go to seminary for four years and get a clean heart? You've got to be out of your tree. They're fighting up there like crazy. They've got the same jealousy and pride and, and one person vying for power against another as you'd have anywhere else. We're people. Pastors and everybody. So I'm not preaching at you. I'm not saying, hey, you're a sinner. I'm saying we're all sinners. But I want to share something with you. The fool on a hill. What the world evaluates is the most foolish thing that ever happened. God says it was the most powerful thing that ever happened because there's only one man in all the universe that can come up to you and you can look at him and say, please forgive me. And he'll say, I have the power to do it. That's why the cross was the power of God because it was on that cross that the power of God, the purifying power of God cleansed sin away your sin 
and mine. It was the wisdom of God because God did it in a way that we can all understand. Jesus took our place on the cross of Calvary. Now, what are you going to do about it? We talked today about the fact that there's these two groups. One group is perishing, thinking the whole thing is foolishness. Another group is saved, realizing it's the wisdom and power of God. Ed Norman was a person a lot like a lot of you. He's a cowboy, had ranches all of his life, not one of those Easterners, highfalutin people. He's just a normal rancher out there in South Dakota, northern Nebraska. But you know, when Luana called us, she was really upset. You know why? Because as a daughter, she wasn't sure that her daddy was right with God. Now listen, I'm not telling you a story. I'm talking to you about real life. Please listen to me. Because the thing that makes me cringe, so many of you are always putting things into another category. Oh, Dave has his religious thing. I don't have a religious thing. Please don't do that. That's one of Satan's biggest con games you could ever do. And Ed was like a lot of you all, I'm afraid. You see, Ed was in Frank's church, and Frank preaches like me. In fact, he calls me up about every other week to ask me questions from the text. He's hungry to be sure he teaches what the text is saying. And Ed sat underneath that ministry week after week. He was regular at church. Man, he heard the message. But Frank wasn't sure he was a believer. Frank sat down and penned a letter and said, Dear Ed, I love you so deeply. And he shared the gospel and says, Ed, you know, you've heard this all of your life, but it still concerns me because I've never seen you confess it. I've never seen you really make a personal testimony. I don't know where you stand. I'm not making a judgment about where you are, but I don't know where you are. Didn't get any answer. Ed, on this weekend, was on the verge of eternity with acute leukemia in a coma, really out of it. Now, do you know how a family feels under those conditions? Now, some of these are intellectuals say, well, there really isn't any problem. You know, after all, you just die and you become like part of the dirt and that's it. Can you really believe that? Come on, your own heart says that's not true because you can conceive of eternity. You can think about death. You can think about life after death. You know, God put that right in your heart. Animals aren't like that. The very fact that you are concerned about it, and almost every one of you are concerned about it, in those deep, quiet moments, you are afraid. And Ed sat there in a coma with his dear family. Man, they called us up and said, please pray. Please pray. We don't know. Don't put your family through that. Got another call. Frank called. And the incredible grace of God. Ed woke up. He woke up and was, was cogent, could talk. And he called all of his family to his bedside. And he said to his oldest son, he said, Son, I want you to know that... I'm right with my Lord. I want to confess to all of you as my family, I do believe in Jesus Christ. He said, I've taken the name of the Lord in vain. You've heard me cuss a lot. I want you to forgive me. And dear Luana said, Daddy, are you right? Are, are you, am I understanding you? Are you ready to go to meet God? 
Are you ready to meet God? And dear Ed said, yes, Lou, I'm ready. The incredible grace of God. I've been in the pastorate for a long time. Very seldom does God do that. Very seldom does the Lord in his omnipotent grace let somebody wake up again and give a family certainty. And that's what concerns me so much about so many of you. You see, what I just talked to you is not some religious story. Some of you have gone to church. You've heard the most beautiful stories. You've had guys in robes and in beautiful suits, and they read poetry and everything else, and you're all caught up in that. It's the fool on a hill, a dead Christ reaching in his arms towards a city, and you don't pay attention to him at all during the week. He's blind, he's deaf, and he's dumb. But the objective reality is the living Christ is alive. And I can tell you from the bottom of my heart that my family can be assured that not by works of righteousness, which Dave Wurtzen has done, but in according to God's mercy, he saved me. Because I don't believe that it was the fool on a hill. I believe it was Christ, my Redeemer. Some of you are looking for big feelings. Some of you are looking for some special group you join. Listen, you make the decision between heaven and hell right where you're sitting because the message of the cross impinges on your life. You learn the historical objective reality that a scandal took place. A Jew died on a cross. It looked like foolishness. It looked like politics had won. It looked like a false religion had won. But God said, no, I'm behind this all. And I've made a just sacrifice, a just payment for sin. My son, who knew no sin, became sin for you, that you might receive the gift of righteousness. And the difference between perishing and a difference between being saved it's the simple choice of your heart. When you look to the cross of Calvary and you say, Jesus Christ, I know I'll face you one day. Everybody, intellectuals and fools, religionists and atheists, everybody one day will face the Son of God. And there will be one group that will look into the eye of the Son of God and say, Oh, Savior, I depended upon you. You died in my place. I thanked you for it. And that group will praise that fool on a hill forever and ever and ever, who will then be the son of eternal glory. There's another group here that will miss it. And you'll miss it because you're arrogant. It's the only reason. There's some moms and dads that are here. You're just going to go right on into eternity, trusting yourself, trusting your own thoughts, talking about the hypocrisy of religion, all kinds of excuses. You've been hurt by this preacher. You've been hurt that by that preacher. All that doesn't make any concern at all when it comes to this big question. But some of you are going to miss it. But I'm thankful that maybe even as we close in prayer, some of you might hear. A small child might hear. It might be their moment when the cross becomes their own. It might be a teenager's chance. Maybe they grew up in a Christian home. But this could be the morning when the cross becomes their own. There might be a precious grandparent. You've heard about Christ dying in your place. When are you going to admit that your intellect can't get you home? 
Your religion can't get you home. Only the scandal of a Christ hanging on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin and then rising again, proving he had the power to give you life. Only that fool on a hill can be your redeemer. Don't let your religion be a statue of stone. It's got to be the living Christ. If you're not sure if you're like Ed, and for many years you've just been hearing the word of God, but you've never made sure it was your own, maybe the Holy Spirit's speaking to your heart. Will you pray this prayer with me? Just say this. Say, Dear Jesus, I want to be honest with you. Dave's tried to be honest with us. I really feel that as we open the word of God today, a man just tried to tell me what was there. And though it's not the most brilliant discourse I ever heard, though it's not the most eloquent address I've ever heard, it has the ring of authenticity. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 and following has the ring of authenticity. And I've got to make a decision about this Christ. If you know what God's waiting to hear you say, God wants to hear you say this, God, I can't make it myself. Will you be honest enough just to say, God, I can't make it myself. I can never be good enough. I'm a sinner. You see, the foot of the cross is level. It doesn't make any difference how much money you have, what position you have, what influence you have. The foot of the cross, it's all level. And every one of us have to get down on our knees and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And you're dying for me. Will you open your heart and thank Jesus for dying for you? The powerful, eternal Son of God took the place of ignominy and shame, which was our place. We were the rebels, but Jesus took our punishment. Will you thank him for that? You can't be indifferent to that. You see, if you're indifferent, you're rejecting it. You can't be indifferent. It can't be ho-hum. If somebody dies in your place, you can't be ho-hum about it. If you're ho-hum, you haven't realized what it's about. Will you respond personally? Will you say, Jesus, you died for me and I thank you for it. I believe you rose again. I confess from the depths of my heart by faith, I'm going to believe that you conquered death. If you pray that prayer deep in your heart, then just like that, by the power of the Spirit, you became a child of God.